0: Today on Season 3, Episode 66 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, the Pack left Indy with a tough loss, but still maintain a two-game lead in the NFC
1: North. Bryce and Ken team up to talk about the strengths and shortcomings of this current Packers team. The offense sputtered, the defense wasn't as bad as they appeared, but big problems loomed with the third phase of the game.
0: We have some unsung heroes, some cut-worthy candidates, salary cap questions, and Ken tries to stump Bryce. Hang on tight, it's Bears Week, And now it's time for 7-3, and three. On Tap.
1: Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast.
0: Touchdown, dagger, L. Harris, fifty-six yards to a game-winning touchdown,
1: Green Bay Packers. Knowing isn't everything, but it's the only thing. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow,
0: green and yellow. Yeah.
1: Unknown Packers podcast. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and
0: yellow.
1: And let me tell you this: Green Bay is a great town. And welcome to the unknown Packers podcast for 7-3 on tap. I'm Bryce Christensen and I got big, bad Ken Ingles with me. But first and foremost, Packers lose in overtime 34-31 over the Colts to fall to 7-3 on the season. All three losses have come after the bye, and what's weird is the Packers looked like they could not be beaten in the first half, broke down in all three phases in the second half, and then somehow tied the game only to lose due to a turnover in overtime. Little PTSD there. On paper, it looked like a solid day for Green Bay. They scored 31 points, racked up 367 total yards of offense, averaging 6.4 yards per play, and forced two turnovers on defense. Led the game at half 28-14 and had opportunities to win the game at the, at the end of regulation and even received the ball first in overtime. But they fall to 7-3 and three right now. They still have um, the NFC North. They're still in the conversation for top seed possibly. But Ken, how are you doing first and foremost and what are your thoughts on uh, this frustrating loss that the Packers experienced this Sunday.
0: Yeah, man, I think you nailed it there, Bryce. Frustrating. But 7-3, and three, uh, 10 games in, you know, as many losses as they had all last year, which is crazy to think that mm-hmm. you, know, you look back at last year, only three losses, and you look at where they started this season uh, on fire, looked like they couldn't really be beat. And then, yeah, like you said, all three losses so far coming off after the bye week. And, you know, playing just over 500 the past couple of games, you know, that that game, it sucked. It was a stinker. I don't think they deserve to really even have been in that overtime (laughs) situation. A million things had to go right. And, you know, a million penalties against the Colts, self-inflicted wounds to even allow that opportunity. So, yeah, I was hopeful. I was, you know, rooting for a win, but... You know, When I saw that field goal go through the uprights in overtime, I'm like, well, yeah, they didn't deserve this win.
1: And you're right. They didn't deserve to win, I mean, just a tale of two different teams in the first half and in the second half. And speaking of the first half and second half, we're going to talk about our overall vibes, game balls, and areas of concern. And then in the second half, we've got a few salary cap questions with our salary cap expert, Big Bad Ken Ingles. And then we're going to do a little fill-in-the-blank game where Ken asked me questions. We reverse roles and we put myself on the hot seat and we'll see if I can survive that gauntlet and then we'll wrap up with Packers, Bears. But I thought thought this was interesting. So after the loss, Aaron Rodgers and his presser said this, today actually gave me a lot of confidence in our guys. That might sound weird when we lost and we turned the ball over four times, but I did get a lot of confidence based on the way we practiced this week. I felt like this was the first week all season where we practiced like a great team and not just a good team. So that was encouraging. I was encouraged by the focus that we had. I was encouraged by the defense and the confidence that they were brimming with. I just think we need to be an all-three-phases football team to go as far as we want to go. I still feel really good about our chances and our squad, and that's, that's where I'm at, Ken. I know if you go on Packers Twitter right now, it's a hailstorm. It's fire. And Fury, and it's just, I get why Packer fans are frustrated. I get that. And I think the common theme I've been picking up on is, well, what's going to happen in the playoffs? What's going to happen in the playoffs? And for me, yeah, that's definitely gnawing at me. That's in the back of my mind of, okay, what happens in the playoffs? And we'll talk about some area concerns as we wrap up the first half. But keep in mind, there's seven and three. The first time that they've gone seven and two in back to back seasons since the '96 and '97 championship teams, winning the Super Bowl in the '96 season and then losing in the Super Bowl in the '97 season. But in the '96 season, the Packers lost back to back weeks after a bye to Kansas City and Dallas. And everyone, I'm sure, if that was if there was Twitter back in that time, was saying, (laughs) "Oh, we 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 can't get over the hump. We can't beat Dallas in the playoffs. What happens if we see Dallas in the playoffs?" And we're talking about playoffs already? Playoffs? The Packers are 7-3, and three and they have blemishes. But I find it, and this is not me being Pollyanna and looking at the glass half full. This is me being a realist. I look at this team, and they should have not even been in the conversation. In overtime, like you said, we had no— And to be honest, I think what's so frustrating is— is the the mismanagement at the end of that drive in the fourth quarter, where I think they could have scored? I think just sort of how they let a lot of clock, uh, a lot of time run off the clock, and then they only had one opportunity where Rogers overthrew Adams, and then Crosby kicked in the three points to send it into overtime. The minute that they went into overtime before they won the coin toss, I thought, jeez. Packers in overtime, Aaron Rodgers in overtime. He's now 2-8 <laughs> and 1 in in overtime, and I just feel that overtime just does no justice for Aaron Rodgers. Like for me, I'm hoping like all this like bad experience evolves into some sort of good karma down the road. Maybe in the playoffs where Rodgers finally does something in overtime. But for me, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about areas of concern but there's a lot to, I think, a lot to be happy about. I mean, this was a great Indianapolis Colts defense that we put up twenty eight on in the first half. We gave up four turnovers. When you do that, I think teams are one in fourteen now when you give up the ball four times, It's I mean, just the math doesn't add up to the Packers winning yet. They were still there against a team that is now seven and three, a, a team that's atop top of uh, their division, and this was a, this was a game that the Colts needed to win. They needed to win this, and so I think that they were coming firing on all cylinders. Philip Rivers has always been a thorn in the Packers' side, and I don't know. I think that it's easy to get caught up in. The abysmal performance against the Jaguars that where they prevailed with a win, and then following it up with this Colts loss. But you could have fooled me after after the game and Rogers saying right, what he did in that right. press conference.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of. I think it took everyone by surprise. Just like how much positive energy was coming out of the locker room after that loss. And I think you know you kind of talked about it earlier, where fans and Twitter are like are exploding. Right? They're pissed. Mm-hmm. And they I guess they want the players to be pissed too. But at the same time they're not fans of themselves, right? They're they're at work. Like and I try to think about it, you know, I was driving around today, I'm like, if I have a bad day at work, I don't immediately just start swearing and get all upset whatever. I go home, I relax, hang out with the family and just kind of put the past behind me. I think that's what they're doing. And mm-hmm. they're confident in who they are, you know. That, what? You know, do you want them to flip a table in a press conference? Like do you want them to you know, punch holes in the wall like what was that OBJ did a few years ago at uh, Lambo in the locker room? Yeah, that's just nice. not who this team is. They they've got I guess their own swagger, their own confidence. Things are I guess going right inside their own building, and you know, let's hope for that. I think Zach Cruz put it perfectly. You know, kind of the outlook for this team going forward. Uh, he wrote on Twitter, Packers are Super Bowl contenders because they've they're proven capable of playing elite level offense. Gives them a chance to beat anyone. But they're also a prime one-and-done team in the playoffs because they're also proven capable of falling completely apart in games. Mm -hmm. We saw both on Sunday against the Colts. Yeah. Right? It's a tale of two halves. And you come out and you score 28 points against a top-ranked defense, and you gave the ball up twice and you're still almost (laughs) able to run 30. Mm -hmm. You know, 28 points first half points was the second most allowed by the Colts in the first half the yeah. entire season. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it just never got right. Uh, the, the the wheels fell off. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll steal another one from Zach Cruz talking about, yeah, they're up 28 to 16 or sorry, 28 to 14 with 16 seconds left. And then after getting the ball only six more times on offense, the next time the offense takes the field, they're down thirty-one twenty-eight, so oh, yeah. a seventeen-point swing after just six more plays on offense to turn you know, three and outs, quick three and outs, and a fumble on a kickoff. It just, it's gut-punching.
1: And I want, I definitely want to mention that, you know, that I guess the tale of two ha- teams in in the first half and the second half. But I, we're gonna wrap up the episode with areas of concern. I want to talk about some positives okay. coming from this game. And so last week. You and I, we did one offense game ball, one defense game ball, and I know you and I were going back and forth like, hey, do we do a game ball? There's no participation trophies given out, but I do want to – I don't want to stray away from every time the Packers lose, we're not going to do a game ball because – there were definitely two players that stood out in our minds, as well as a couple other players I feel like had really great performances. but first and foremost, I feel like
0: um, the un, I think this is gonna be the unsung heroes episode the, when I, I look like at these it. when I look at these names we're about to talk about that's that's the first thing that kind of comes through my mind.
1: I like the Harbinger and when when you're looking at positives, um let's talk about six round rookie draft pick John Runyon who gets his first game ball on offense. I wanted the Packers to draft John Runyon. A little humble brag there, I guess you could say. Maybe I think Gutekunst all was of Nation wanted <laughs> uh, the Packers to draft John Runyon. NFL pet- pedigree, he looks to be like a complete steal, home run of a pick for Brian Gutekunst. Um, he played a career-high 50 snaps at left guard as they slid Elton Jenkins to center to replace Corey Lindsley, who suffered a back injury. Like I mentioned, six-round draft pick out of, out of Michigan. He looks like a complete... Day three steal. There was a lot of talk about him in training camp, a lot of excitement. And I think you said it best in a very short brevity of a tweet when Corey Lindsley got hurt and they had Runyon and uh, Jenkins. You had Runyon at left guard and Jenkins at center. 2021 preview. And for me, when you're going up against the quote unquote number one defense in the NFL, in the Indianapolis Colts, maybe self appointed there uh, on their half, but the, the stats do back it up as they were coming into this game. He didn't even blink. Same with Elton Jenkins. I mean, you can right. even give a game ball to him, but I think instead of bypassing the game balls, I think it's important to recognize that there are some positives. I mean, we're not mentioning Rogers' stat line or Devonte Adams' stat line, but, which were, were great. But John Runyon gets the first offensive uh, game ball for the 7-3 and three on tap episode. Anything you wanted to add with John Runyon as well? Yeah,
0: I think you nailed it. It's just unsung hero comes in and just the line doesn't skip a beat. And, you know, it's unfortunate that Lindsley came out. But I think, yeah, I, you, you kind of talked about it already. Like, I think we saw, you know, after what, 10 snaps, was it 20 snaps? I think we saw the starting offensive line for next season. Same. I, was, I think you got Bakhtiari out at left, obviously. I think Runyon is at left guard. Jenkins is going to be your long-term center. <sighs> I yeah, love that. At Lucas Patrick at right guard and Turner. I think he kind of... At, people were down on him last year. I think we threw him a game ball already this year. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing really well on the right end, and he's versatile in case we do need to slide around. But I think that's your starting five. Absolutely. And people Pretty are talking exciting. about oh can we put Lucas Patrick in at center? <laughs> well, he's only under contract for one more year and then he's probably mm-hmm. gone, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. So, and the center's not a position you want to mess around with. But yeah, John Runyon, sixth round, like what a, you know, he's come in now, what, three games this season? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you never heard his name called, which is always a good thing. You know, it's hard to evaluate real time when you're watching a game. But yeah, if you just... I, he's been solid, meet you know, exceeding all expectations. He's the first guy off the bench at this point. Mm-hmm. Him or Wagner, depending whether it's a tackle need or anything on the interior, Runyon's the next man up and definitely deserving of a, the first game ball here.
1: And I wanted to add, when you mentioned Jenkins, uh, I saw this tweet out uh, where he's, where Jenkins says he tries to make the protection call while at guard before he hears Lindsley do it in every practice. Says it's helped him with the line calls yesterday in Sunday's game. When he had to make the switch to center, the the minute Lindsley went out, I I haven't been fixated on an offensive lineman. I can, in, in, in re, maybe last year when Elton Jenkins was a complete stud at left guard, but I was glued at just seeing what Elton Jenkins could do. Oh yeah, and and maybe maybe it's just me getting excited, but man, he can snap the football. There's some juice to it. Perfect spiral. He seems like he's in complete control. Like in his groove is a guy that was a center at Mississippi State was drafted as a center. So I'm excited to see him at his most natural position. I mean, we could even give him a game ball, but speaking of game balls and wrapping up the two that we give away,
0: want to introduce the, the game ball and the defensive side of the ball? Absolutely. This is a guy who I've noticed for lack of a better word. Almost every single game, and it's just, and that's going to Raven Green. It's a guy that, for me, is always flashing on the screen. You always seem to be around the ball against the Colts. Eight tackles. He had that clutch forced fumble on that first drive. You know, after the Rogers and Lindsley mishap fumble. Yeah. You know, he forces that. He forces the fumble that next drive to set up the Tunyon touchdown. On the very next drive, I know your your boy, the (laughs) sycamore, but it's it's a play that even Charles Woodson retweeted, giving him high praise for you know, see ball, get ball type of mentality, and just it's just great to see the physicality, the urgency, open field tackling Mm -hmm. from that from that safety position that we really haven't seen. It just no matter where I look, it seems like twenty four is always on the screen, always putting his nose in the ball, whether it's playing deep or close up on the line. And again, talking about unsung heroes, in my mind, when we look at these who got the balls this week with Runyon and now Raven Green, just the guys to go in, do their job and do it well, but maybe not blow up the stat sheet. But the guy that for me is always, has been catching my attention for several weeks in a row now and I think is very well deserving of this defensive Ball.
1: I mean, third-year safety, undrafted free agent out of James Madison. He was a guy that I immediately, in 2018, in training camp, started turning heads. Oh, he stuck
0: uh, out for sure.
1: Last year, uh, there was big talk about him breaking out, and uh, fell succumbed to injuries and wasn't able to play out the whole season last year. And now you're, like you said, he just seems to be always around the football. I love uh, speaking of Zach Cruz that we mentioned earlier. He tweeted out the peanut punch out, uh, giving homage to Charles Tillman, who sort of uh, innovated that move. But talk about um, heads-up play, open field tackle on Jonathan Taylor, I want to say, on the next following drive. Mm-hmm. He's he's a gamer, and I'm super excited to see what he can do. I mean, just an, he's a young dude. In his third year, he's 25 years old. I'm really excited to see what... Uh, more of Raven Green moving forward, which gives me hope. If you got that kind of playmaker, you allow Savage to continue to grow. Rashawn Gary had another great game uh, wreaking havoc on the quarterback, pressure yeah, the quarterback. He's ascending, definitely could have given him consideration. And now l- let's turn the tides as we wrap up the first half of 7-3 and three on tap with our areas of concern. And first and foremost – you got to talk about turnovers. In the Rodgers era, the Packers have had only four plus turnovers in only eight games. Only five of those games were with Rodgers behind center. And of those, one came in 2017 at Carolina when Rodgers was fresh off his broken collarbone, and the other in 2008 when he suffered an injured shoulder at Tampa Bay. Like I mentioned earlier, teams this season with four plus giveaways are one in 14. I thought LaFleur said that. Uh, had an interesting quote when you're playing a good football team or any team for that matter you tur- you lo- lose the turnover battle 4-2 it's, to co- it's tough to come out on top gotta give them credit we knew what we were facing we knew uh, we were facing a really good football team that does as good a job as anybody in terms of punching the ball out again when you lose the turnover battle like that it's usually going to end up in a defeat and so it's an area of concern because this is six turnovers now in two games and Rodgers making some ill-advised throws, which seems very. Jason Perone texted me, uh, a buddy of ours, and uh, he said uh, Rogers out there uh, doing a little Farvey impersonation. Thought that was, it. It, hmm. it had my ears perk up a little bit because I do feel like Rogers could do no wrong before before the bye. and after the bye, you're seeing a sort of a different Rogers. However, still put up 300 yards, three touchdowns in that one pick. But you got what you wanted with the defense creating two turnovers, but yet you give up up the ball four times. I'd like to see that cleaned up a little bit more moving forward. I think it's fixable. I really do. The Shepard fumble, we'll see. Uh, The MVS fumble that happens the 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 blemish the snafu of a snap with Lindsley and rogers i know that happened in the nfc championship game against the niners but i mean i think like what rogers said it was an anomaly and maybe people are rolling their eyes like well he said that about the tampa bay game but again this is a good team that wanted to win but it's definitely an area of concern your thoughts
0: right and yeah the turnovers you can't turn the ball over four times and expect to win many games the fact that it was even close that they even got to overtime just tells you how much of a cluster the fourth quarter really was for the colts because they erased the entire deficit and were leading basically the packers spotted the colts an entire quarter right Think about it like the offense really only played three quarters and against the colts a full game and they were still able to hang in there so again it's not all negative, but man, you, you, those got to get cleaned up. And you know, you had mentioned, you know, looking at O'Farvey. Ever since the bye, yeah, it's not as good decision making, I guess, or things are just look a little off. You know, you look at Roger Statline. You mentioned it's gaudy, right? Mm-hmm. Packers fans are spoiled. Three hundred eleven yeah. yards, three touchdowns in <laughs> INT, and it's a down game, right? Kind of goes back to what rogers says you know, career you know down year for me or career years for others but <laughs> yeah. but you know this team is built on like rogers being aaron rogers right mm-hmm. and i you know, looking at my notes and i make notes on every drive when i'm watching the game and there's just a few more sprinklings in of uh, under through here to mvs yeah. ooh, 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 that one was behind adams on the very next drive mm-hmm. we're seeing those a bit more and more as of late and, you know, I'm hoping that it's something's just off with the timing, but we're in a dome, ideal conditions. I, I don't want to, you know, get too down too too far down this rabbit hole, but I'm really hoping, you know, this team is is built on Rodgers being the man mm-hmm. and being able to score 30-plus points and having a defense that can, you know, keep them in it. So right. let's hope. Well, and speaking of defense,
1: I think that's definitely another area of concern. And um, from maybe many perspectives, the Green Bay Packers defense deserves the brunt of the blame. The Colts piled up 420 yards. They dominated that third quarter. They rallied from that 24, uh, I'm sorry, 28-14 halftime deficit. Their 140 rushing yards, 97, came in the second half. However, maybe Green Bay... Isn't even overtime. Maybe they get blown of the water if it wasn't for the defense. Uh, the Packers' four giveaways were only turned into only six points. They didn't even allow oh, a single first down on those turnovers. But I think, um, and what was mentioned, um, I believe Aaron Nagler uh, asked Matt Lafleur questions about when you're playing your corners back, and that's the thing that really ir- irks me about this defense. Is n- no, I guess. Third down and long—it's not long enough. Like I'm always concerned that opponents are going to convert those because you have defenders back. You're playing soft. Even LeFleur came out and said it. What addressed the elephant in the room—that they're playing soft and they're that that underneath those crossing routes are where they're just getting decimated. And had they played up a little bit at that line of scrimmage, a little bit more physical, maybe we pull away with a victory. But I will admit, I am tired of always being concerned about this defense. I feel like we have the playmakers for, on each level, line, eh, maybe not linebacker yet, but Kamal Martin, baby. I think he's, he's going he's to be special. Up, Don't sleep he's, on Martin. He can lay the lumber. And so and you're looking at the cornerback, you're looking at the safety. So I do feel like they have playmakers, and now it, it's. The question of can they pull put it all together? I don't know, but I'm tired of week in, week out, an area of concern being the defense. Granted, you had Zadarius Smith who was all over the field making plays should have probably gotten a game ball if it wasn't for that peanut punch out and that beautiful game by Raven Green. But you're looking at this defense and the predictability of it. They didn't really do any more three-man rushes which was nice. However... Week in, week out, we're always pointing at the defense being an area of concern.
0: Right. And yeah, for me, that's, I, I think I echo a lot of your sentiments that you had there, where I think they've got the dogs to, to, to be a good defense. We saw it last year. It's more or less the same guys running around there, but it the scheme isn't doing them any favors. You know, when it's third and 19 and you, line up 20 yards off the ball and they gain 14 it I know that's not a surprise like mm-hmm. you see it coming now which is unfortunate I can't remember the last time where it, you, you even said this where it's like third and long and I wasn't like it wasn't like oh there's like almost no chance they make it it's like a coin flip or even, <laughs> 50-50 oh it's third and 12 they'll probably have some wide open you know guy in the middle of the field for 15 yards and it's I don't you know to preview, I don't want to go too much because I've got a question about for you for the fill in the blank on the defense side of the ball later, a little preview into that. But yeah, this it's concerning. It just seems that there's so much more opportunity to make quarterbacks uncomfortable by rushing four, rushing five in some of those situations instead of a three man rush and you know, soft shell coverage. And Rivers was hurt. Yeah. He couldn't move. He was a statue. He could, you know, every time in that second half, he was just on the sideline trying to stretch out his lower, um, something on the lower leg. Mm-hmm. It's like the guy can't move, make him uncomfortable. And it just seems so basic, but we're so concerned about not giving up the 20 play. yard play, the 30 yard play that we just keep allowing these little dinks and dunks.
1: I, think you hit it right on the head, and as we wrap up the first half of 7-3 and three on tap, the last area of concern that I want to quickly address is, I think on everyone's mind, is the woeful performance of the special teams. Nah. Needless to say, something needs to happen. When you're talking about playoffs, you can't be a two out of three phase team, and that's what they are right now. I do think that this defense can be good enough for the Packers to get to the promised land. However, I do think the special teams is that thorn in the side for the Green Bay Packers. They need to flip the script. Against Houston, it was a blocked punt. Against Jacksonville, it was a punt return for a touchdown. Against the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday, it was Darius Shepherd's fumbled kickoff return, which led to a field goal that capped a 17-point run that turned a 28-14 lead to a 31-28 deficit. The mm-hmm. Colts essentially laughed at the fact that we had Darius Shepard back there. They kept kicking it short, forcing Shepard to return. The Colts enjoyed 197-yard advantage in total field position. Speaking of another embarrassing performance, and granted, I don't know what's going on in his personal life, but this is something that's been week in and week out with J.K. Scott, who entered the week with the third-worst net punting average in the NFL, I know he was questionable. He was able to uh, perform, or he was able to suit up and be there on Sunday. But he averages 39 yards per punt. Yeah, man. The Packers entered the week ranked 28th on punt returns, 32nd on kickoff returns, and 31st on punt coverage and 17th on kickoff coverage. If not for Mason Crosby, uh, you might as well not even put a special teams. Uh, oh, I didn't know those. There.
0: I didn't know those stats and those rankings. Those are. Those are daunting, and it just shows you the the power of the swerve, man. He's been out for a few few games earlier in the season. Now he's what a game and a half. Now he's past two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rough. Um, yeah, and I you know I don't again I don't know what's going on with J.K. Scott. He didn't even make the flight out on the day before the game. He he flew out there Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Packers had to sign what Drew Kaiser yep. for one day. Yeah, made forty eight grand by the way, just to be active. That's, a, that's what, a pretty penny. That that's a deal. I could be a backup punter and not. Play. <laughs> Sign, hook me up, but yeah, not a bad gig if you can get it. But you know, Andy Herman had a tweet saying, you know, unfortunately, Kaiser's going to get cut on Monday, which he did. Yep. But he's like, maybe the other punter is the one who should be cut because things haven't been looking very good. But again. You never know what's going on. You know, miss a game for personal reasons. You don't know what that could be. Wish him the best, but mm-hmm. unfortunately it just it's it's not getting the job done on game day, which is in this league what matters. Well, there
1: you have it, Packer fans, for the first half of seven and three on tap. Buckle up. It's gonna be a fun second half. We got salary cap questions, fill in the blank questions, and then we're gonna wrap up with the Chicago Bears quick preview. Be right back. Go, Pat, go. This episode is brought to you by Sonic Transformation. Check us out at www.sonictransformation.com. Sonic Transformation, your sound refined. Go, Pat, go! And we are back with the second half of 7-3 and three on tap. We got a little reel in the first half. We addressed some concerns. We addressed some positives. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, big, bad Ken Ingles. Let's raise the roof with some salary cap questions. I'm going to ask a couple from fans that tweeted out earlier on Monday. And then I've got a couple questions for you too, Ken.
0: Get that hot seat. Get that burning. Don't like don't like when I don't have the uh, info ahead of time, but we'll see. We'll see what I can I, do for I,
1: you. I'll be, I'll be very kind. I Be it's gentle. It's just, it's just bracing myself for these fill-in-the-blank questions that I'm eagerly awaiting. But before that, Joe at Work 87 said, Given how tight the cap is, will the Packers exercise a fifth-year option to Jair Alexander, or will they extend him outright? If he becomes all pro, doesn't the fifth-year option
0: get a little bit more expensive? Great question. Love Joe at work. He and I go back and forth every once in a while on on Twitter. Uh, really knows his stuff. Good, good question here. So mm-hmm. I think there was a there was a similar question too around around uh, Jair that I saw kind of addressing where he may be, but I don't. So let me think about this. So Jair Alexander, his next year, so twenty twenty one, will be his fourth year. I'm almost positive the Packers are going to exercise that fifth-year option on him. Okay. So as long as he doesn't so, – but yeah, to let me back up here. So it, he does get more expensive depending on if he makes the Pro Bowl, not the All-Pro list, uh, but the Pro Bowl for that fifth year. I don't think that they extend him because, quite frankly, I don't think they can afford to extend him next year. Uh, next year, as we all know, is the down salary cap year. It can be as low as 175. could maybe be in the low 180s. We'll see everything I have right now still is pointing towards the 175 number. But his salary cap next year for Jair is 3.8 million. It's fully guaranteed. So of that it's about two million of base salary. The rest is his signing bonus for being a first rounder. You can't really make that smaller if you extend him, not in a meaningful way. So, pr- they're more or less, or I, they're almost guaranteed just to throw the fifth year option on them, just like we did with Kenny Clark, right? And then try to figure out and work out an extension early in that fifth year. So, the second half of that question about how, you know, what is that amount? Uh, how much would that salary cap hit be? So, there's four levels now of how the fifth year option gets valued based off the new CBA that all got reworked with, with the latest and greatest. So the highest amount that it could be would be the franchise franchise tag level, but he would have had to have been on a pro bowler for two of those first three years, which correct me if I'm wrong, but he has not been a first ballot pro bowler. So that's off the, that's off the table. So that would have been really expensive. So just to give you an idea the franchise tag for, 2020 was 16 million 16.3 for a cornerback uh the next level so he's on his pace to be a pro bowler this year let's see if he makes that initial roster if he does that bumps his the amount up to what's called the transition tag and it's slightly less that's 14 million this year but if he doesn't it gets significantly cheaper and based off of where how many snaps he's played he would be what they how they calculate it is you line up all of the cornerback contracts from the previous year and you rank them from most expensive to least expensive. And you take the average of the third through twentieth salaries as okay. a percentage of and if if the average of that is let's say 10% of the salary cap, and then whatever the salary cap is, you take that by ten percent, and that's what the number will be. So it basically, it all comes down to whether he makes the Pro Bowl or not. And it'll be, you know, 14 ish million, 13 ish million if he makes it. If not, it'll be cheaper. But again, that's just a starting point, And they'll probably extend him based off of that number, just like they did with uh, our boy Kenny Clark this past year.
1: Well, and to follow up with the second question from one of our fans at Grayson's Burner, G R E Y, like Gray's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. son's burner and it's essentially the same question but it's revolving around um will he get too expensive where he doesn't get capped
0: no yeah i think that's the, the the you know when i when i had the other question i thought i saw yeah he, you keep him right he's mm-hmm. he's basically the number one cornerback in the league the packers have a lot of really nice problems right now in that they have the number one tackle the number one nose tackle right. Arguably the number one receiver and arguably the number one cornerback and a quarterback playing at an MVP level. Like,
1: yeah, let's burn this team to the ground.
0: Right, right. These are good problems to have. But then, you know, people like me, the financial side are like, oh, you know, we got to try and make these numbers work. Right. But you make it work for those guys. Those are guys you keep around. You know, this is a draft and develop team. So the second part of that is develop or sorry. It's draft developed, but really the third part is and pay and ex- or okay. extend, right? You draft them, you develop them, and you extend them. That's what the Packers do. That's what we just saw with Bakhtiari. They drafted them, they extended them, and they extended them again. So Kenny Clark, that, that's what they do. They sign their own guys, but and they don't even let them out, out into free agency. They don't let them get a taste of it. They make sure they keep their talent in-house. And Jair's absolutely going to be retained. It's just you know at what cost and but
1: they'll make they'll make it work. Now, here's a follow-up question that I have with this is w- given the pandemic season and uh the salary cap falling to um 175 mil, does that loom over now is this one of those cap casualties where they sort of just hold on for dear life with Jair, they they have him for his fourth year. They they give him a fifth year option, and because of the cap casualties, the money lost, they aren't able to retain him because they have all these other higher contracts with Rodgers, Zadari Smith, Bakhtiari, Kenny Clark, and Devonte Adams.
0: You know, I, I think it kind of goes back to that that last question where you find ways to pay your young ascending players, mm-hmm. right? and you think about the guys who might be coming off you know next year you know preston smith is a guy who who would have thought last year at 365 days ago we'd be talking about preston smith being an almost guaranteed not going to come back next year and there's probably a guy on this team today who's in his second contract who you know might not make it to 2022 at this point right that's what we're talking about for a fifth year option but by that time, 2022, the cap should be not Fabilized. completely back to like pre-COVID, because how this works is the owners right now are losing money, and I know no one feels sorry for the owners, but <laughs> that's their job—is they only seem to make money, and that and the players are in this to make money, and they split it, not quite fifty-fifty, but you know along those lines, and right now the players are getting they're getting everything paid out normally and the owners are basically suffering the loss of not having ticket sales and all this they're collecting that money back over 21 and 22 uh, okay. the years maybe 23 as well that's the agreement that they signed so even if things are back to normal and there's you know a potential vaccine and the stands are packed again there's still going to be that payback that's built into the salary cap so even if you know let's say it's would have gone up by 15 million in a normal year well there might be kind of that payback that's still on the book so it might be end up being flat you could have it where it goes down next year and then it kind of goes back to what it was this year the year after and then after that see a big jump back up but it's going to be a two year impact but to answer your original question johnny there's no way that they let him walk there's no way
1: good there's no
0: way and that's that's sort of been you know just in the back of
1: my mind of this is unprecedented this is unexpected obviously and so with his play i just wonder if that would be a casualty
0: i think we're going to see the majority of like the bloodshed quote-unquote of the salary cap impacts this upcoming offseason packers fans aren't ready for it i'll tell you that and it's gonna be we haven't seen stuff like this packers have taken care of their salary cap this is not their fault Uh, Mm -hmm. again, they've got good problems. They have a great tackle. They have a great nose tackle. They've got an expensive, great quarterback. They've got all their free agency signed a few years ago. These are are good problems, but unfortunately, the world has changed around us, and everyone's doing their job a little bit differently, and uh, that's just going to be delayed about a year in the NFL, and we're going to see that effect next year hard.
1: And to wrap up the salary cap, I mean, we could – I could talk for hours with you on this, but this is my question that I have for you, and you've you've alluded to it, you've expanded on it a little bit in in our previous episodes with the salary cap questions, and you just mentioned it earlier. Speaking of bloodshed, salary cap wise, you talked about Preston Smith being a guy that probably won't be back next year; he'll be he'll be cut to get to that one seventy five mil. Along with him, who are other players that come to mind that you don't see wearing the green and gold that have contracts that should be extended out for them to play next year?
0: So you're saying, oh, so who are some guys that we can extend to? I'm sorry, that
1: wasn't clear. Who do you see not coming back?
0: Who's on the books, but... Is not coming back next year? Yeah. All right. My... I call these four names are names I've always kind of had built into my scenario when I kind of look at next year for how they can manage to where they need to be. Just a reminder, everyone listening, right now, with everything involved, the Packers need to make about $40 million with the room between now and the start of next season, which covers the draft, existing players, practice squad, and keeping a little bit of money on the side, and bringing back some of their, you know, cheap guys. Not mm-hmm. not any of their expensive free agents. Just their cheap ones, like Alan Lazard coming back for under a million bucks. That's a no brainer. So they need to they need to find forty million dollars, and they either need to cut people or restructure them. But to answer your question with the cuts, uh, these four names are the ones that I always think about: Preston Smith. I have Christian Kirksey. There's like almost no way he comes back at this point, especially with how Barnes and Martin have been playing, Mm -hmm. and his contract is just—it's—it can get very expensive the more and more he plays because there's lots of incentive built into his contract for being able to actually start games Mm -hmm. that are not on the cap now, but will be as he starts playing those. There's just no way he makes the team. Uh, Rick Wagner, and I also have Dean Lowry just unfortunately not playing up to that contract. So okay. you you look at guy, you know, Preston, just not playing up to the level of the contract. They can maybe ask him to take a humongous pay cut, but you know, he can probably get paid elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You look at the guys, what Kirksey and Wagner, those were our two quote unquote big signings this past year. Everyone kind of looked at those as, yeah, they're two year deals, but they're kind of one and done with the structure. And I think that's exactly how it will play out. Plus they have good replacements for them you've got turner who again we talked about in the f- first half who can easily come in and you know be that right tackle and they can just find someone in the draft to be the swing tackle okay so All right. th- those are the four but again those four aren't enough to do it they're going to have to yeah. restructure wow. a lot of other guys
1: well i love it and i find this super fascinating i hope everyone else enjoys the salary cap questions from big bad ken angles and now we're flipping the table switching roles and I'm eagerly
0: awaiting the fill-in-the-blank questions that you have for me. All right. Yep. So these shouldn't be, these shouldn't be too bad, but it, it should definitely get, get you thinking a little bit. So right now, the Packers, as we know, are 7-3. and three, Listening to the 7-3 and three on tap episode. <laughs> but so fill in this blank for me, Bryce. The 2020 Packers' regular season record will be blank. So, where are they going to end up? If they win seven, out, three. they're 13 and 3. If they don't win another game, they're 7 and 9, but, you know, we're,
1: we're... <laughs> uh, I like that both sides of the spectrum. Um, I want to say that they could win out, but I think realistically, I'm going to say 12 and 4. I think that the one team that could give them um, issues is Tennessee which will probably have the fan base crumbling because we lost to another team <laughs> that has a winning percentage. Tennessee does everything really well that Green Bay struggles in. I mean, I just see Derrick Henry running all over our Packers defense. Maybe they can fix it up here in a little bit in these next couple weeks, but I'm going to say I, I would love for them to go 13-3, and cruise. I think that they're capable of it. Surprisingly, I know that probably fans tuning in and are like, "Nope, they're not going to win another game," or whoever has a winning record, they're going to lose to. But I will say, uh, twelve and four. I think that they win out outside of the Tennessee game.
0: I'm there with you. I've got them at twelve and four or eleven and five. You know, as I look at who they've got left, they got the Bears twice, the Eagles, Lions, Panthers, and Titans. Yeah, yeah I could I can see the Titans being tricky. The Bears, we'll talk about them in a little bit, but you can never sleep on them you know oldest rivalry in sports and they mm-hmm. come to play but yeah i don't i don't see the win out though for some i think there'll be a little another one slip but hey they could go they could run the table of course i don't know i would love it i i don't know tennessee that tennessee that gives circle. me the most the most pause but again they haven't been as as impressive as they were in the beginning half kind of like the packers right mm-hmm. you know the last couple games haven't been in, exactly there but hey I can't wait to watch those six games and see where this ends up and hopefully the Packers are on top looking down at everyone else in the NFC. I will say this
1: I had the Packers at 12 and 4 in the beginning of the season when the the schedule released and I had them losing to Tampa Bay, Indianapolis, Tennessee, and Minnesota but I had them losing at Minnesota away.
0: You know what that's close enough man I'll I'll give you (laughs) I had 11 and 5 so we'll see things are shaping up all right. right. Got a couple more, I I feel. I do. I do. Here's, here's a good one for you. So bl- blank, and the blank has to be a player that is not Aaron Rodgers, okay? Okay. So blank will be the key to a successful Packers playoff run. Ooh, that's
1: a tough one.
0: While you think about it, I'll give you mine. How about that? All
1: right.
0: All right. And this is MVS. Oh, I love it. I, I love it. I think, you know, we've talked about him. Obviously, you know, that game was was an up-and-down game, just like his season is an up-and-down game. But the Packers need him, and it's pretty obvious that they have a lot of confidence in him, and especially with Lazard back on the field, they're going to have opportunities to go do the, do the moon ball, do the long ball, and that's where he excels. And if you get a guy like Adams, who's just a playmaker, you got the deep threat in MVS, and you got Lazard, who's just the everyman and the possession third down machine that they gotta cover, you'll see that the tight ends are starting to come back to life again. They were, I think, were nine for nine in past attempts to tight ends this past game. You see what this receiver core can do. And I know MVS had a down game. I know fans got on him, and but I think he is going to be the the cog in this offensive machine to make the team go.
1: I love it. And not to copy yours, but man, that's a beautiful one. I think if he can... Look, in the San Francisco game, he scored two touchdowns. In the Jaguars game, 140-plus in a touchdown. Had another um, really... I uh, had a great catch and then also had that play that resulted in defensive pass interference and obviously the the fumble. But I think when... He's starting to come into his own. I, I think him and Rodgers are on the same page. He brims with confidence. You got the team backing him up. I love that. I think in order for me to answer your question, uh, the first person that came to mind was Aaron Jones. I think mm-hmm. if Aaron Rodgers is on on point, MVP Aaron Rodgers, and you have Aaron Jones just eating, I think if I would say non-player, I would say Matt Lafleur, uh, just for the sole fact of. He seems to be different from the first half to the second half. I I hate to call it, uh, once the script runs out, they start to sort of grasp at straws. But I would like to see Aaron Jones be more of a focal point in all four quarters, and I think that opens things up for Rodgers as well as the receivers. But I think if Aaron Jones is in fuego in this in the playoffs, as well as Rodgers, I don't think you can stop the Green Bay Packers personally.
0: Right. Yeah. I can't argue with an Aaron Jones pick here either. That's a, to get that ground game going and to be, like you said, a focal point will be key. And it just opens up everything. I think the most successful and exciting games as Packer fans, as, as viewers, have been those games where Jones gets going and going and putting up gaudy numbers. But then the Tight ends get involved. The receivers are getting open because they have to respect the run, and it just becomes part of this perfect recipe. So, yeah, Great hopefully, question. yeah, all right. And the, and the final one that I have, and I, we talked about it a little bit on the front end, but so the blank here is going to be going towards the defensive side of the ball, and so the identity of this Packers defense is currently predictable. Damn, that's a good answer. It really is. Mm-hmm. If, wow, I wasn't expecting the bold one word response, but it's true. You see it week in and week out, three man rush, not a lot of pressure, playing soft, playing soft off. coverage. Yeah. Open. Underneath, I had, those I had, routes are oh, wide open. Mm-hmm. Me, when I, you know, my answer was we quote unquote won't give up the big play, <laughs> but we'll happily give you third and manageable is kind of like, yeah. put as we should make t-shirts which, for that which is true like yeah yeah they don't give up 25 yards but they'll give up 15 on a when you need 19 <laughs> and then they'll go right. for it on fourth down like it's it's just infuriating but i think you nailed it on the head with with predictable there what a perfect answer
1: i mean when you look at the colts game they allowed five consecutive scores spanning the end of the second quarter to the midway through the fourth quarter. Those first four drives, 12 plays 75 yards, 14 plays 56 yards, 10 plays for 55 yards, and eight plays for 50 yards. They had a third and 12 that was converted with an underneath throw, which you saw. Um, You had a third and nine one defender had his eyes elsewhere. Got greedy, made a false move, gave up a step on his man. Third and ten, check down gets nine. Fourth and one converted. Third and nineteen, a screen gets fifteen. Fourth and four converted. I get the whole like not wanting to give up a, a big play. On top of being predictable, field awareness. Like, what's going on? Is it is it the players? Is it the coach? Um, I'm glad Lafleur address the elephant in the room because we've been seeing it week in and week out. I think that this is a championship caliber team. We're 7-3, but special teams, and then uh, you have a blueprint, unfortunately, on how to beat this, this Packers defense unless they can get creative and unless they can start getting a few more, I don't know if gimmick is the right word, but Having some of these ascending players start to come into their own, um, they can generate more turnovers. I just personally don't see Petton changing. So I think if we want to go deep, if we want to bring home what is rightfully ours, it's going to have to be the the Aaron Rodgers show, Aaron Jones show, MVS blowing up, and the defense uh, being respectable, I guess, uh, middle of the pack. Um, Maybe something happens. But uh, history has shown so far with Pettin, you know, this is a second year with most of these players. You know, you've got the Zedaria Smith, um, Jair Alexander's third year, Amos in his second year, Savage in his second year. So a lot of young players in this Pettin defense, so maybe they can click. But at this moment right now, they're predictable, and uh, that's something that... uh, I'd like to see change uh, moving forward, but great
0: questions, man. I like these fill-in-the-blanks. We should do this every week. Deal. Now it's on me to you know come up and try and find some of these to stump you, but you're too All good right. at it.
1: I, I, I appreciate it. You make me blush. You mentioned uh, in our pre-recording about you, you bestowed some really nice compliments that I won't regurgitate, but the the feeling is mutual, my brother from another mother. And as we wrap up, seven and three on tap – Packers do hold a two game lead over the Bears, five and five, three game lead over the Vikings, who are four and six, as well as the Lions, who are four and six. The Bears do visit Lambeau Field next Sunday, and that lead could stretch to three games with only five to go if the Packers win. And as they host the Chicago Bears in the NFL's longest standing rivalry, it'll be the 199th regular season meeting between the two, and the Packers have A 98 94 and 6 advantage, and they've each split two postseason games. I'm excited, I love Bears and Packers. I'm looking forward to it. It's Sunday night football, give me your vibes and thoughts
0: before we bid adieu until next week. I'm with you, man. I'm excited. Bears week is always something special. Um, you got to love the rivalry, you got to respect the rivalry, no matter what you think about the other team. That fan base, you know, there's just a all- a lot of respect there. Uh, the exact opposite for the Minnesota fan base and that rivalry. Uh, not a lot of love lost there. But you know, this is the opportunity for the Packers to put the Bears out of their misery. Don't want to open the door with some loss to so have them creep back up into potentially you know making a play for the division and. But again, the Bears, they, they're they going to play hard. This could more or less be their Super Bowl, right, if mm-hmm. nothing else. And Packers have to be prepared and play their damnedest against a, a divisional opponent who knows them very well. But they might not even have a quarterback healthy right. on the roster to strap up, but we'll see how that all folds out. But at this point... The coach can't even name who's going to be on the field.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to recording with you for our Chicago Bears and Green Bay Packers post-game episode once again. Thank you so much for everyone tuning in. Thank you, Ken, for co-hosting with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Looking forward to doing this week in and week out for the foreseeable future. Go Pack Go! I am your co-host, Bryce Christensen.
0: And I'm Ken Ingalls. And this is the
1: Unknown Packers podcast
0: thank you so much for
1: following the unknown packers podcast you can follow us on twitter at unknown packers as well as facebook instagram the unknown packers podcast you can check us out on our website the and a variety of different podcast platforms as well you can also say hey alexa play the unknown packers podcast that's right we're friends with alexa
0: go pack go This podcast was edited and produced by Sonic Transformation. Sonic Transformation. Your sound. Refined.